Does the idea of death make you anxious? Or are you fully comfortable with your mortality? Either way, the awareness of death fundamentally impacts many different aspects of our lives. You're Going to Die, the podcast, is sponsored by the Ernest Becker Foundation, or EBF. The EBF serves to educate people about how the awareness of death impacts our behavior and beliefs, and relies on cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker's theories as well as current research. Check out the EBF's current initiative, the Mortality Awareness Preparedness Project, or MAP, M-A-P. MAP offers intro to death anxiety workshops for individuals, as well as workshops for advocacy groups to learn how death anxiety impacts us individually and societally. The EBF has presented to organizations whose work touches on police accountability, racial justice, gun safety, and reproductive health. If you or your nonprofit is interested in a workshop, learn more at ernestbecker.org and click on MAP Project. Ernest Becker's ideas have led to a flourishing field of social psychology that is now shown in over 1,500 studies that death affects the way we live, make decisions, interact with each other, create cultures, and structure our societies. The EBF also offers features and webinars examining how the fear of death impacts current ongoing social issues like climate change and racial justice. Stay up to date on the EBF's upcoming features, webinars, and events by signing up for their monthly email list at ernestbecker.org. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Ernest Becker Foundation or contact them at info at ernestbecker.org. Hey everybody, welcome to, I'm just already laughing, oh, I'm laughing because I've just been cry, crying, and I just was like, I gotta start, I gotta, I gotta just hit record. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. Oh, I recently just made this commitment to trying to be funny more, laugh more with what You're Going to Die stuff I do, uh, it doesn't always make any sense at all, because um, there's just a lot of a lot of sad stuff uh, <laughs> to deal with, um, but oh, it feels genuine to laugh right now. Although I just finished listening to the interview conversation that you're about to uh, listen to. Thanks for joining. This is You're Going to Die, the podcast. Uh, my name's Ned Buskirk, welcome. Um, yeah, I just finished listening to the, the edit of this conversation with Selena Godden and, um, just was weeping and it's wild. Cause I'm weeping, listening to myself, weeping, listening to Selena. We're both two of me weeping while we're listening to Selena. Um, and so welcome, <laughs> welcome to that and you joining, uh, as a listener too. And I don't, you know, I mean, if you need a good cry today, you might get there in this episode. Uh, it's funny to promote this thing and know that it is, it's a lot. It's a lot of hard stuff, but we laugh in this episode. I already have, okay? It's proven. It happened. 
But there's more laughter. Selena and I laughed. She's funny. And we're funny together sometimes. And I laughed, but I cried. And I needed to. Which... I'll explain a little bit about just the the opportunity this morning to to do an, a a writing workshop with some cancer patients, and I'm bringing that up because of lots of obvious reasons. It connects to feeling a lot today. So then, when I got to listen to this interview conversation, sorry, I keep saying that. Let me just say why I keep correcting myself. There is because that's what I want to have conversations with our guests. And I don't want to be like in in the like driver's seat of an interview. And I know I'm I'm asking questions, and and so then I'm kind of leading in a way. But that's what this is. That's what what I got to have with Selena. And I think that kind of engagement, at least for me and how I'm in the world, realizing recently or reclarifying that listening, you're going to die, is built on listening. And, and I really believe that a deep listening can draw forth what's needed. Uh, and I was joking recently <laughs> at a party, talking with a bunch of parents, birthday party, kids everywhere. I'm the guy who's like listening for the thing that's not said. I try to give myself a break from that, but I'm listening for the thing that's not said. You know, if someone says it's complicated and then they move on, I'll be like, can you tell me more about that? I don't probably need to be doing that all the time, but I do have of that kind of listening. And I think it's proven here in this episode. But I mentioned the writing workshop that I facilitated this morning because of the writing thing that matters too here. The writing for me, I, you know, recently someone asked me if I, how I'm writing, a few people have lately. How am I writing? How am I writing about grief? Do I only write about grief? And I'm wanting to say that the writing when my mom died feels like some of the best writing that I've ever written. It matters that much to me anyway. And nowadays, I don't know. I'm just kind of dumping. I try to start my day with gratitude and and setting goals, and and it helps. It really does. It sets it sets an intention for the day that's invaluable for me, especially nowadays, or maybe always. I'm just dealing with a lot of heavy feelings, and so it's good for me to do that in the morning. That being said, I really believe in the power of writing uh, and the power of creating in that way, fiction, nonfiction, whatever it is. And so it felt really good and familiar to talk to Selena about this. And why I'm saying all that is to set you up for what's talked about. Selena Godden has a new book out, just came out in the United States uh, in the last few weeks. So it is available and I'll give you a link to get that book, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, Selena Godden's debut novel. And what's so wonderful about this book, and I feel like it's important to articulate this, although we talk about it a lot, is that it's kind of fiction, but there's so much that's getting brought in to um, cover different types of grief that are so very overtly for sure, Selena's grief, maybe <laughs> there's always that caveat. And then also like stories in the news and then dreams. And the theory I have about this, if I wrote a book about my mother's death, it would be valuable to a lot of people who lost a parent, especially, and especially those people who lost a mother or especially to those people who lost a mother to cancer when they were 20 something. 
And what I love about this book, what I think is so powerful about this offering for community, for the globe, the global community of people needing catharsis around so many different types of grief is that Selena somehow using fiction and nonfiction, her experience, her stories, unconscious and conscious characters that have talked to her on the streets in her ear, dreams, visitations, ancestry, lineage, real and unreal, all of it, this book holds it. But what I've come to realize is that it just, it's a question. Fiction and nonfiction, like are the family tree that she draws out at the end of the book. Some true family members in that tree, some not. The blending and blurring of real and unreal. And the book is a question in a way of what's real. And I think about grief like that even the experience of grieving deeply, like what is real, what is unreal? Half of us is in both places. And so this book holds it all. And it took me talking to Selena to get to that. And yes, I did just listen to it and I did cry a lot. And so worth mentioning now, a little trigger warning around the conversation about suicide. And, and yeah, I know it's a lot and it's intense and it's hard to pitch this podcast to people, but You're Going to Die has always been hard to pitch to people. Who wants to come to an event called You're Going to Die? Well, I know you're out there. I know you're listening, so thank you. We are a community who wants to be together in these things. And so knowing you're listening and knowing I have a place to like bring an intimate, emotional, vulnerable, raw, real conversation like this matters so much to me in my life in immeasurable ways. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. But yeah, just heads up, it, it it's lovely and it's fun and there's moments of relief and laughter and there's some harder stuff that this holds. But I hope that it all offers you something of what you need right now. Selena Godin is one of Britain's best loved poets and performers, and she's also a broadcaster, a memoirist, and an essayist, and is widely anthologized. Her essay, Shade, was published in an award-winning anthology, The Good Immigrant. She has published several volumes of poetry, the latest of which was Pessimism is for Lightweights, and a literary childhood memoir, Springfield Road, which she talks a little bit about it in our conversation. In November 2020, she was made a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death is her debut novel. It was shortlisted for the Gordon Byrne Prize in 2021. Film and TV rights for Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death have been optioned by Idris Elba's production company, Green Door Pictures. And I quote, Idris Elba calls her book fantastically imaginative. The Guardian calls it exhilarating. And Harper's Bazaar says it's profoundly hopeful. And I concur. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. I hope this conversation gets you to go into the liner notes and buy the book yourself, or maybe you've already got it. Just look it up online. Selena Godden's book, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. Hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Selena Godden. Okay, so today was a good day because I actually went out in the garden and stepped away from my phone for a bit and stepped away from 
everything and just kind of was really excited to see the spring and the first buds coming in, the first little daffodils coming out. And it's just been a long, hard winter. It's just been, it feels like it's been winter for about two years. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I really felt, I felt very springy or the beginning of springy this morning. And that was exciting to me. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm looking after myself better than I was um, when this book first came out. I didn't really realise quite the conversations I would be having and how it would affect people and the places it would take me and the conversations it would take me to. And um, I didn't really protect myself. I was a bit like a marble going going down a bowling alley. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> um, not even a bowling ball. Yeah, no, <laughs> like exactly. just the, <laughs> like a tiny marble. Just yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit more, I've got a bit more armor now, maybe, um, and, and a bit more protecting myself. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's been a crazy time to publish a book like this. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't write and publish a book for a pandemic I didn't see coming, but I did write one for a pandemic I felt was already here. Um, and I've said that in lots of interviews because I think it's, it's, you know, I think some of the things that I discuss in the book have been going on for a long time. Um, um, so how am I doing? I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I've found a community actually on a, on a much more positive. I mean, the fact I'm talking to you now and, um, and I'm meeting all these people through the hashtag death positive movement or positive death movement and all these people that are willing to talk or wanting to look at the language of death. Um, there's just all these people out there that I had no idea when I was writing the book. So yeah, so I'm feeling like I'm finding the others myself. <laughs> mm, <laughs> That's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I want to know though, because you were kind about uh, people coming to you. Mostly, I feel like you were like saying it was so nice and powerful to have people like reach out. But I do, I do want to know like where is it hard? Because I feel like what I love in this book is that it holds so much that's hard. Mm. And I'm in a constant question of like, what's the point of putting ourselves here? You know, mm. and I'm still doing it. I can't stop. You know, I keep having these conversations. I keep having these grief workshops, these events, the hospice program, like going into the prison. But it's so much of like being with the hard stuff. And you talk about so many things that align with what I really care about and feel is important in, in this work with mortality. But that that part is this like letting things like be held, not fixing it, not like making it better, but just mm. like being with it, writing it out, you know, like grieving fully, completely. And I, so I mean really to specifically ask, what did getting the book out open up that really felt hard, you know, like when people would bring, and maybe you'd be like, I don't know, but I'm wondering, would people bring the big stuff to you and somehow because of your book think you could help or fix it or asking questions that you suddenly just were like, I can't, I don't know, other than the library question. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing with this book is it wasn't a book that was written from a place of observation. It wasn't a book that was written from the sidelines, you know, nicely protected with, 
you know, and for some reason in my head, I've got a picture in my head of like lacy gloves, but sort of nicely protected. This book was very much written being in the trenches and being filthy in the pain of mourning and grief and really getting dirty and, and, and opening it up and, and, mm-hmm. and expressing it. So, and then, um, when the book was published, I was very much still in those trenches and there was mm-hmm. uh, a family loss and, you know, um, and all, all sorts still going on. So I think in a way I was kind of down there in it still, even when the book was being published, I wasn't like coming from a place of see how I have healed. Grief mm-hmm. happened to me it's once done. in the past tense. <laughs> it, it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't like yeah. in this place of, yeah, I was still kind of in having those days. I mean, grief is such a, it's such a powerful um, and strange roller coaster, isn't it? You have days mm-hmm. where you feel completely numb and then you feel bad because you don't feel bad. Then <laughs> you give yourself yeah. a hard time for giving yourself a hard time. And mm-hmm. then it's, uh, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very tricksy, tricksy situation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the days when you're crying a lot are easier than the numb days, I think. But then I don't, yeah. So it's, it's, it's so, yeah, all I'm trying to say is, so people coming to me with, with that, I, I recognized it. I saw it. I spoke or, you know, or wrote back and, and, uh, and I'm open to that. I think I always have been though. I mean, as a child, um, mm-hmm. I experienced some real horrors and tragedies. Um, and so that was something that was very much part of my, my the kind of writer I would become and also the kind of adult I would become and, and I'm, I'm very you know I have a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding and I and I know what loss feels like and and so yeah I, I, I just kind of like delved into dug around deeply in all of that stuff that I know too well if anything I'm wondering mm. when I'm going to stop writing about this stuff and um, yeah. but I do use humor but I think I always have I, I do use jokes mm-hmm. and humor and, mm-hmm. and a little bit of silly you know mm-hmm. uh, as well as sort of you know going in there in the in the dark and you know going there's a saying someone once said to me and it comes to my mind when I talk about this stuff it, you can't climb a well from the middle You've got to go right down to the bottom of the well in the mulch and the slime. And then when you're down there looking up, you'll see, you know, how far you've got to climb and the way up. But you can't climb a well from the middle. And I just always think of that. And I think this book is very much kind of right down there in the bottom of the well, but showing that there is a light and there is a, mm-hmm. a way up, you know. Yeah. 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 But, um, but I mean, I think I've been trying to climb out of this well all my life, but I keep sort of stopping for a cigarette, having a little chat with someone else on the way. I'm just never, never getting out of this well. <laughs> oh, I totally relate to that. That's lovely. Uh, but also, you know, do you feel the truth of what I think is a revelation or catharsis, this moment of, there's a couple moments in the book that, offers this like, oh, you know, like death is dancing on the beach, you know, and letting yourself in those moments feel yourself out of the well, maybe, or at least in the light. Yeah. Do you feel like the book gave you that? Or did you feel like you were bringing that in? Because it is something you experience in the book, yeah. you know, bringing it in from life into the book. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks so much for bringing that up. That's, that's so interesting. I think I did. I think, 
I think um, through the character of Wolf, we do, because Wolf is so dark and in the shadows at the beginning of the book, and this kind of dark London streets roaming around. And then by the end of the book, Wolf is, you know, you know, on, you know, in the daylight, in the light. Yeah. I think, I think I've, I've learned some stuff. I'll tell you, I've learned some stuff this last year. <laughs> like, like reading a book can teach you so much and mm. writing a book can teach you so much. But then people who read your book then teach you, you're just constantly this whole journey. I've just learned and grown so much. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and different people telling me their different, what different bits meant to them and hadn't even thought mm. of it their way. And it's been so, um, interesting. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, the kind of belly of the book is that, that how death teaches to live, how mm-hmm. we need life and we need death in equal measures and, um, and that Mrs. Death teaching Wolf to live. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. And I love, you know, the, the, the ancestry vine and reading all that. Now, this is so trippy because I'm like, I'm engaging with all this stuff, just like this is reality. And my sense is so much of it is, but I want to make room for that. Like I imagine you do too, this fact and fiction, but it's like, I want to get into it, not from the like, let's talk about writing fact and fiction. Like there is part of me that really, and you might be like, sorry, <laughs> you might be like, sorry, you're not allowed to know. But there's this part of me that does want to talk a little bit about, as much as you feel compelled to, about those parts that are real, that is the way you grew up, that is the ancestor you come from. So then the grief and the death and as I guess, I guess I want to make room to talk a little bit about that as much as is comfortable and as much as that like informs our conversation, but also the book and the knowing of the book. And I don't even know how to ask that very specifically. I don't know where to start because of how much there is that's like, I, I think I'm pretty sure this is all real, but the book doesn't like let you stay there. It blurs enough to let it all be real, you know? Mm-hmm. I, that's just like your, another one of your big que- questions you're going to have to feel. Does that feel like close to something you can speak to? Um, let me have a think. Okay, so, yeah, blurring the lines of fact and fiction, of nightmare and dream, it's definitely something that's going on throughout the book. I lent some of my family tree. There is a family tree in the back. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I lent some of my ancestors to Wolf but some of them are, are fictional and some of them are real. Um, and some of them are real, but I've, but it's, it's to do with that thing of the stories we tell ourselves, you know? Um, and so some of them are the stories I've told myself about, um, ancestor, about certain ancestors or certain storylines. Um, I got my, my DNA done, you know, when you spit in the tube and they tell you mm-hmm. where you've come from and, Wow, I've, I've made, I, I'm a little bit of everything. I really am. Mm. Um, Irish and Jamaican and Spanish and um, a Viking and <laughs> like really, really wow. mixed and um, Nigerian and yeah, just a really fantastic mix. And so some of those I lent to to Wolf, um, but some of it feels very real to me. Some of the chapters were very vivid dreams that I just kept having over and over again. Mm. Um, Tilly Tuppence, 
um, is one really great example. I kept dreaming yeah. till he tuppence, like so mm. clearly. Um, I, I should probably let you know I'm a morning writer. Uh, my younger self would, would be would be M O U R N. Yeah, yeah I, I get up really early. <laughs> I get up. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, geez, sorry. <laughs> but, um, sorry. That was your. You did that in the book. I feel like there's like a morning <laughs> use morning, of the two words, but I got it in the start of the day writer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I tend to start my writing day at kind of four in the mm. morning, so I like to write when my dreams are all ripe in my head. Oh, I'm, right, like four in the morning. Yeah, that early. yeah, when it's still mm. dark and nobody's going to bother you and no one's going to interrupt you and you can just get, you know, just Mm -hmm. go in there. And So Tilly Tuppence was definitely a dream, dream nightmare, actually, that I kept having over and over again. So much so that I Googled her and and believed she was real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's no such person. So, Mm. yeah, but but then that made me wonder if, if maybe she's like a ancestor or some deep DNA memory or something. Mm. She felt very clear and real to me. So what mm. is real and what is fantasy and what is dream and what is nightmare? And yeah, that, that, those, those worlds of, they feel very real. I feel very protective about Wolf and I feel protective about Tilly Tuppence. Mm. I feel protective I of feel a lot that. of the people in the book and that poor Irish girl, um, Inga Maria Hauser, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel very protective about her and how her murder has never been solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that was is a, real. a strange coincidence because I wasn't intending a lot of the, a lot of the deaths in the book are either ancestors or stories that, that kept coming up or coming, mm. presenting themselves, um, until, until I was sort of compelled to write about them. And the day I arrived in Ireland was the 30th anniversary of the murder of Inga Maria Hauser. And mm. so the tower that I was staying in in Ireland um, was really close to the woods where her body was found. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I, I went to the woods, I went to the site and just started writing about her and reading up all I could. So a lot of mm. the things, it sort of felt like I was being led by the nose or led by the spirit of the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you know, you know, couple questions that you helped clarify for me that I want to ask around that is how does two things there's why not just a memoir like you know why didn't that compulsion lead you you know in that direction and so then also like why does this and I mean effectively um make room for our grief and make room for death you know like how is it how is this the best thing to do what you do with your writing in this book. I, I know that even that questions, it's like, it's, it's, it's just out of my reach. I guess like, cause the, the question like, why is it a memoir? Like, I don't know. It feels too like grounded in something, but there it's all around there. Like, why does it, why did it lead you away from the facts? Why did this book lead you away to, from the facts? I guess. I don't oh. know. Does that feel right? Well, there's lots of answers to that. I think I, I, I wrote a childhood memoir that was published in 2014. 
Okay. And I think I got bored of writing about my mum. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. No, I mean, I'm, that's just a joke I make with my mum. But yeah, I'm not writing about you anymore, mum. <laughs> Stop making me write. My mum is brilliant and fascinating, and my Jamaican mm. family are incredibly interesting, and, and, mm. and I'm fascinated by that, by my family mm. history. Um, but I think, I think this, this, this uh, body of work, this book, has been a slow burner, a slow brewer. It's been marinating, if you like, for a really long time. I think I started writing some parts as way as long ago as 2012. Um, and this was the mm. book I was writing for myself. It was a book I wasn't sure I'd share or let anyone read. It was something I was experimenting with. Um, and I didn't have an agent or a publishing deal. No one was asking me to write it. You know, that thing, art's the thing no one asked you to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't even sure oh. what, I, what, what it was going to be or how, you know, I mean, I think when you're writing about death, you're really writing about fear. And so I was really sort of testing my fear, my fear of the unknown. But then I realized the biggest fear I had was fear of rejection and fear of of being vulnerable and fear of people reading this and fear of, um, you know, fear of that. And so, you know, so I had to sort of find the courage to let someone read it. And then, then from there, it kind of snowballed from there. That's how it started, yeah, from you knowing yeah. you were afraid to share it and then yeah. starting to share it. And then you knew that it needed to be... Well then, like yeah, the and then there seemed to be a conversation <laughs> that needed mm. to be had, and and it mm. kind of escalated from there. Mm. Um, so I tested it out at poetry gigs, like little tiny snippets of it. I'd slip mm -hmm. it in as if it was a bit of a my a bit of my 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 comedy shows are. Uh, um, not comedy, my poetry shows. I don't do comedy. Um, but, um, but my, my I love that slip shows. up though. I know you're probably funny in those contexts though. Like you said, like yeah, in I your do book, write I'm funny sure. Poetry, but, but it's not the yeah. same. But, um, Got it. Yeah. So, and I started sort of to, just to see how this tone is. It felt like this was a much heavier, weightier mm -hmm. tone than my usual usual stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it was quite interesting that some of the responses I got. I started wondering if there was a geography of grief, if people grieve differently, not just from country to country or culture to culture, but even closer, like village to village, town to town. As mm. I'd read the same section in Scotland, and they'd all go, hey, and then I'd, you know, and not mm. drinking whiskey and ray, and there'd be this big cheer. Mm. And I'd read exactly the same piece in Bloomsbury in London, and everyone would be in tears. I'd be in tears. We'd all be in tears. We're all softer down here, maybe. I don't know. enjoying this episode of you're going to die the podcast um it's been real meaningful to make we just want to take a moment to acknowledge a few of you a slew of you thanks to the bunch of you a few a slew the bunch that have become new patrons on our patreon page 
that is such a big deal. You have no idea how much it matters, how much it brightens my day when I see a Patreon email come through. I see them, okay? I'm checking. Uh, Nick's checking. We're caring for that particular community and all of you, everybody, all of you listening. Like, it matters. Thank you. All the thanks. But special thank you to the Patreon community. It's been so wonderful to have that growing support there. And so those of you that haven't become patrons yet, I just got to tell you, it does matter so much. You heard me say it. It's like, okay, like a dollar a month, you know, or up to $5,000 a month. By the way, I checked finally. I'm like, that's not an option. (laughs) I do wait. I'm going to, I'm going to add, okay, I'm going to go and add, go and look and see there may be a $5,000 patron option. I don't know if they limit you, but I'm going to go and I'm going to add it. But I know for sure. I think our top tier is $50 and uh, there's a few in between. So all that is to say, if you're listening and you really want to brighten my day, literally this will be real time. You can go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron. Like right now, if you do it right now, this is trippy. This feels like science fiction. Go into our Patreon page and become a patron and I'll get a notification. Like literally do it now i'm we'll wait for you here this is the this is the waiting music i'm not going to keep doing that okay so let me pair it back thanks to all of you that have become a patron already and uh just want to really invite and encourage those of you that that might want to become a patron to do so and how much it matters getting that support every month go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. When I'm done literally recording this, I'm going to go into our account and see if we can add a $5,000 tier. Cause I know <laughs> one of you's out there like, man, I really, I think I could give him $5,000 a month. Um, so let me see if I can add that tier for you, uh, special money bags person. Now, great. It would be great to have you support us in that way. And it would feel good for you. I think to do so. But I also want to let you know that we've up-leveled our commitment to that community. So the last episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast was with Ani DeFranco. And as a treat, a special treat for our patrons, we uploaded the fully unedited version of my conversation with Ani DeFranco. It's almost like an hour, 30 minutes to an hour more of content from our talk together. And you can only get that by going to Patreon and becoming a patron. Well, we're just going to keep that commitment. So let me settle down here. This is kind of a both a Patreon plug and a shift into sharing something special with you right now. Often in the midst of our show, we try to share a little more in honor of the guest, and it could be anything. It could be sounds from a creek that they love to sit by. It could be audio from their dead, maybe a recording of someone they've lost that they want us to put to music. Usually it gets put to music. Nick Jana, our producer, is wonderful at scoring. And so he takes the audio that is sent from our guests and he scores it. And so we're going to share a reading right now that Selena sent us. It's my literally, truly, I didn't ask her for this. She just sent it. And then Nick intuitively picked this one. I don't, maybe it wasn't intuitive. He just liked it and he put music to it. And then he sent it to me and I was like, yes. This is absolutely my favorite reading that she sent, and it's my favorite 
moment in the book, truly like the, my favorite moment of all the moments in the whole book. And I love the whole thing. And we're going to share that with you now. It connects to the Patreon page, which is for this episode with Selena Godden, we're going to be sending a bunch of her readings scored by Nick Jana to you on Patreon. So listen to this and let it land in the middle of your heart like it does for me. And then if you want more, a little extra incentive to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash YG2D. Go and do that. And you can listen to more of Selena's wonderful readings and how wonderfully she does read. I think you'll think so too. What if I made Mrs. Death up? Is Mrs. Death real? Where are you when I need you, Mrs. Death? I jump on the bus heading eastbound. It is dead quiet and empty upstairs. I sit down and lean to let my forehead touch the glass and I watch the city from above. The window pane is cool. There is frost and snow on the dome of the roof of Madame Tussauds. And I exhale slowly and empty my lungs and my breath fogs up the window and then I suddenly cry. And once they start, the tears won't stop. Hot tears on my cold cheeks and the cool glass. There is a hurt and a pain in my chest. I feel broken and I don't know what time or day it is and I don't know where I am. I am guessing it is time for me to go mental in Doolally Town. The doctor has arranged to send me for further evaluation. She thinks I'm developing bipolar. I looked it up and I found out that bipolar and hormone imbalance and PMT and menopause and being an empath and being a human who gives a flying shit all share similar symptoms. Mood swings, hypersensitivity, restlessness, insomnia, extreme highs and extreme lows, suicidal thoughts, restlessness, catastrophizing and crying alone on buses. The world is in chaos. The earth is in climate emergency. There has been another shooting. This time, a racist, white supremacist, Islamophobe burst into a mosque, all guns blazing. We should all be crying on buses. What is wrong with everyone? I am not catastrophizing. This is a fucking catastrophe. That doctor thinks I might be bipolar. And every time I think about that word, bipolar, I start crying again. Look at me. That's me. Biracial, bisexual, bigender and bipolar. That's my labels and my boxes. That's me. I'm the one you can see all alone crying upstairs on the bus. I am crying because I'm afraid. I'm crying because this is probably the saddest and loneliest bus ride ever. I'm crying because maybe I am a bit mad. And maybe I am crying because you aren't crying with me right now. Because you just aren't mad enough. I definitely wanted to write Mrs. Death as a character. That character was very strong. You know, it was a true story. Um, there I was one Christmas um, 
I was quite low and I was skinned and it was a couple of years ago. Um, and, um, there's a lot of anniversaries for us at Christmas. My grandmother died in December and my father died in December. And, and so there I am walking down Brick Lane and, um, and I heard this voice and this voice actually, you know, just, just as she appears to Wolf in the book was like, I know a lot of dead people now. And I was, I was just standing there and, and I realized, I mean, I'm not saying I heard voices, but in, in the, it, it was kind of like what writers or artists talk about this kind of light bulb moment where I've realized I had a new narrator in my head and a new, and a new voice and, and who knows the most dead people, but Mrs. Death. And, and so from there it started growing. Um, and a lot of the book was composed on the lips, like walking and recording into the phone and sort of trying to be this character. And so because of that, it could never be memoir. It could never be something. So um, uh, the memoir I wrote that was published in 2014 was titled Springfield Road and very much was about uh, my childhood. Um, when I was a child, my father uh, committed suicide. And it, uh, something like that never leaves you. It's a big, it's a big conversation it's a big question. When someone dies on purpose, they leave a, they leave a lot of questions that can never be answered, and especially to a child. So, yeah. So there was there there was no way that this book was going to go there again. I felt like I just couldn't really quite go there again. Having said that, though, there's so much of my dad in the book. Oh you yeah, know, for sure. There's like the I feeling feel and the loss and and. Uh, wolf being a child and losing a parent and so there is a lot of it in there and some of the numbers and the names and some of the places are very my dad you know he's he I, I think he'll be in all of my work for the rest of my life I I don't think I can really um I think that's just part of who I am I think he'd be proud of it or proud of me he was a you know a jazz musician and a poet and a writer himself and yeah and so you know it's if anything i'm following in his footsteps and you know i'd be making him proud my mum's proud too so yeah i think that's what we do don't we 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 take these stories with them with us and the stories we tell ourselves we weave them um talking of weaving i think one of the nicest uh things i heard was when I was in a session with um, the Queer Death Stories gang and I was in a Zoom with them and I met a woman that weaves coffins out of willow and she told me that she listened to the audiobook whilst weaving coffins out of willow. I love that, the idea of my stories being weaved into these coffins, these amazing, beautiful coffins. Her name's Kaz. Mm. I loved mm. that. That was an amazing mm. response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's some version of what your dad gave you, the footsteps you're walking in, and 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 the the that other people do that with you, even not even blood related, but that there's something happening in the world because of this book um, being given to have people like continue it in their own work, you know, some extension of you. Yeah, um, you know that your dad committing suicide. It's, it's, it's wild. I'm like trying to get back to how I just know and that that feels like a real thing in the book that I read or felt. And, um, 
I know that there's a part of the book that talks about suicide. Yeah. And I'm trying to, re- maybe you can remind me of what that is. And I'm, I'm just wondering uh, what the part I'm connecting to is the part of the book that talks about like the bipolar, uh, um, maybe the father with bipolar disorder. Yeah. And, there's sorry a lot if I'm of using the wrong language. Around, yeah. around Wolf's father. Sorry, did mm-hmm. I talk over you then? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just jumping in. Yeah, just because yeah. I, I never really spoken about it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Wolf's father is a very mysterious character. We've got this story in Australia where there's something real, tr- really horrific happens in Australia in Wolf's father's childhood. And then the next leap we see is Wolf fa- Wolf's father just being out of control in a, you know, and throwing things around in a cafe. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, um, do your, does your dad relate to, Wolf's dad? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't. I think that was unconscious. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think that was unconscious. However, the the feeling and the the abandonment that that's very much something I knew as a child. The abandonment mm-hmm. and the not knowing, um, and the sort of the idea of of yeah, the the parent just disappearing on purpose, and that that abandonment. There's definitely something that 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 came from a you know something mm-hmm. that I lived through, and and could write about from a place of experience. How old were you? Nine. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? We don't need to talk about it if you don't. We'd rather not. But do you remember? What do you remember? Um, I remember. I remember that. Do you want to know the real truth? And I feel kind of strange saying this, but I remember my mum sitting us down to tell us, um, me and my brother, looking at each other, and we just couldn't stop laughing. It was the Mm. strangest response. Mm. And we just looked at each other and we laughed. And I remember I fell off the sofa Mm. and... And he was going, stop it, Selena. Selena's making me laugh, mummy. And I was just like, mm. that crazy, hysterical laughter. Mm-hmm. And then I remember just looking at my brother and then his smile, it was like a cloud going over the sun. It was like just suddenly the light went and he's got very beautiful dark eyes and they just filled with tears. And then I realised it was real I didn't want it to be real. And I did this sort of fake hollow laugh because I wanted the laughing to carry on, not to go into where he was going, which was like the penny drop, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I describe, I've always described it as a pane of glass that me and my brother carry forever. Mm. Like this sort of unspoken thing, this thing that we sort of carry very carefully together, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a, it was an, it was a very, it was a very, very brutal and an extraordinary thing to experience as a as a child. Um, I rem- I remember being very, very, very um, full of joy and hope, and and I've always been very colourful and very mm-hmm. you know and very kind of very lots of empathy and colour and light and music and where's the fun, where's the party. I remember mm-hmm. being very much like that, but I remember just going really silent and uh, mm. and just, and 
Yeah. But we learn so much from these these great losses and, and this pain. And we, we yeah. grow so much and there's so much to to learn. And um yeah, and and yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry I've oh, made it's you. Fine. You're so you beautiful. Kidding? Look at you. Thank you for <laughs> oh letting me speak on that. I <clears throat> I really haven't spoken on that for years. Yeah. I mean other than what's obviously so hard about him committing suicide and what that meant to you as a little girl that I mean, I, that moment of, did it feel like, and you can be like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm talking about this and we can move on. But, um, I just have this moment of you as a girl, like what what crossed your brother's face was distance too. Did that is do you feel that? Because I know you're saying like you both carry that together, but also I could just feel the like loneliness of even laughing, as crazed as it is, there was like the connection of you both. Yeah. And then the the loneliness for each of you to really being the truth. Yeah. And then the space between you because of that mm-hmm. weight and the clouds you say that crossed over. Was that, that's really what struck me about you describing that moment. Mm. Is that accurate? Is that accurate? I think, I think, yeah, I think it was just kind of, my brother is four years older than me. And so uh, he knew what it meant quicker than I did. So, and what it actually meant in real terms, and ah, uh, yeah, right. Whereas I, I, I didn't really understand what a forever goodbye was. I didn't really understand what mm. what death actually meant. I didn't really, mm. you know, I was nine, and I didn't really understand. Mm. Um, and, and then to see it, maybe get a, it. Yeah, it's such a big mm. sentence. Um, committed mm-hmm. suicide. Those two words mm-hmm. together. Something very seriously was committed. Something mm-hmm. very. Something that you can't take back was done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's mad. I haven't really, uh, you know, I haven't in all this time actually realised how much uh, I put of that into Wolf Story. I did, though, I guess. Of course I did, yeah. So as if I haven't said it enough, um, check out Selena Godden's book, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death. You can find a link to her website in the liner notes, but you can also look up that book for ordering online. It just, as I said earlier in the episode, came out in the States. Uh, I believe Barnes & Noble has it on a shelf. So if any of you are out there and you go into a Barnes & Noble and you see it, send us a picture at pod at YG2D. I promised Selena I would get her a picture of Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, 
on a shelf in a store in the United States. So um, thanks for your help on that. But thanks to Selena so sincerely. Um, again, it's like I'm running out of ways to acknowledge people for conversations like this, but it was so good to talk to her and such a cathartic experience, uh, both in laughter and tears. So thanks, Selena, so much. Nicholas Jaina. I could Photoshop that easy. What? Her book on a Barnes and Noble shelf. I could oh, easily no. I could do that. I could do that in like 10 seconds. Nick, <laughs> Nick stop. I'll put a little like loaf of sourdough it. in there, a little trolley stop in there. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what? So you're gonna do like a Barnes and Noble bookshelf with like a tiny trolley next to it and a little bit of sourdough? No, bread. no, no, a trolley in the background. Oh, no, okay, a size yeah, appropriate. Okay. She seemed really noble, like crashing through a wall. She seemed really uh, chuffed, as they say over there, that, uh, you know, her book being in San Francisco and you being in San Francisco, you know. Okay. Okay. Because I'm thinking the States in general. Um, I could really make it iconic, is all I'm saying. Let's brainstorm that real quick. I'm imagining uh, Barnes and Noble with a trolley crashing through a wall (laughs) of it and a bunch of people on the trolley holding sourdough bread, smiling. Yeah. And The Rock is like rescuing her her book. The Rock is rescuing her book from it. You mean like, uh, (laughs) wait, hold on. The person, The Rock. You said The Rock, the person, The Rock. I thought you were making a reference to the movie, The Rock, with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. So like the movie is saving. No, the movie is not rescuing her. I don't know how that would work. (laughs) The Rock, the person. was was like, that's a San Francisco reference too. The ubiquitous person is uh, saving the book from the trolley and the sourdough. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Forthcoming. Selena, keep your eyes on your email inbox for that photo. (laughs) Also available on Patreon when we create that one. If you want that picture, it's going to be on Patreon. Uh, You know you're going to have to do this, right, Nick? Well, speaking Um, of which, I just made uh, an extra uh, music accompaniment mm. to to, uh, Selena's poems. This is great. I went for it. I I, I pulled out all the stops, and that's only on the Patreon. I don't Great. want to say anymore. You haven't even heard it yet, but like, I no, just, I haven't. And, and I love this you, live unfolding that we do. Um, um, I had a question um, for you. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's hear it. Um, I had an interesting conversation with my parents a few weeks ago and, you know, for some context, my parents are the most reliable parents. Uh, they, they show up to any event that I've ever done within like 90 miles of their house. Mm. And they always come 20 minutes early. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very reliable. If I, if I ever call, they answer within two rings um, or they call, if they're somehow out, they call back within an hour, you know? So yeah, they said to me and my brother, like, can we have a zoom and talk about things? And they talked about family trust, will estate planning and, you know, there are times where uh, growing up, I wished there was more, <laughs> I don't know, artistic understanding in my family. Like, like they're, they're not musicians, they're not artists at all. But in this moment, I was really grateful of how responsible they were in that sense of like, they, they did all the work, they did all the planning, they had a little like portfolio that they mailed us and they had it all worked out. Like the, how to deal with all this stuff and like all the documents have been signed and everything. And I've, I felt grateful. And also it made me very aware of other people who maybe 
don't have that situation with their parents. And I was like, oh, how would I have started this conversation if it wasn't going to start? Like, like, how do you just even start uh, the discussion of like, hey, mom and dad, like, what, what are we, what's, <laughs> I, I don't even know what the question is exactly, you know, but is, is that something you like yeah. have, have counseled people on or come across? Yeah. And, um, I think that's wonderful. What sweet parents, uh, to think, to do that. And the ways that you've described how they care for you is, is, uh, really wonderful. Um, I just like, liked hearing you list all the ways that they're thoughtful uh, with you. And, um, my mom was not, uh, thoughtful in that way. When she died, she did not do any of that. Uh, so we had to just figure it out. My sister and I, um, and you know, she didn't really have any money. She had, uh, like debt, credit card debt. Um, but she didn't really have any of that kind of financial stuff to figure out. So in a way, you know, it didn't end up being that big of a deal, although folded into that kind of activity before we die is the, here's what I want you to do with me, you know, and my body. And she didn't do any of that. So we just had to guess. And we ended up guessing, um, that she, loved lighthouses and that we should cremate her and take her to Point Reyes here in mm -hmm. California, north of San Francisco. There's a lighthouse there. And we, we went and dumped her ashes, uh, I think illegally, but we did do it. Uh, I guess it's on the record now. Um, and we figured it out in days time, uh, after she died, we needed to just leave Redding, California and just handle it all. And, I don't resent her for leaving that up to us, but, and, and in fact, it ended up being a really incredible experience. I mentioned earlier in the episode about writing and how I wrote about all of that. And that's that going to Point Reyes, you know, I wrote a poem about that moment. And I, and I had a dear friend of mine, uh, Becky Redman, who's been one of our like art director, graphic designer extraordinaire over the last 10 years. She's a dear friend of mine from LA who I met in LA. And she she did a painting of of the lighthouse based on a photo that I gave her of Point Reyes. And and I wrote the poem into the lighthouse and gave it to my sister as a Christmas present after my mom died the first Christmas after that. Now I'm bringing that up to both connect to the writing thing and how I mentioned earlier, you know, in a way, my mom not figuring that out gave us a chance to create something for her mm. that was meaningful between us. But I absolutely think we just need to take the time to fill out a will. And it's so easy to do now. And I'm not particularly compelled to facilitating that kind of discussion or workshop or anything like that. But I know people in our organization have brought it up and I think it's likely we'll eventually offer something like that. Like, do you not have that yet? Here's a place to do it. I would say to answer, I think one of your questions in there is like, how do you do that? You know, I'm, I wouldn't say people come to me for this particular kind of thing when it comes to death and dying, but I would say when they do, you started the sentence that is the sentence to be said, which is to go to our parents and say, do you have a will? Mm -hmm. Have you figured out all the decisions for your end of life? And the reality is ultimately it will be up to them if they want to do it. But I think it's on us to ask, especially for like, you know, children of parents to, if we had, don't know to say like, 
have you. And I think what I've done because of my mom and how she handled the end of her life. Uh, and because I'm a parent now, we've just made that time. We did it, you know? And I mean, some, it's like, it's literally as easy as going to a website and taking an afternoon or a couple hours of a day and just sitting with your spouse, if you're married or yourself or whoever, but like people who you would do that with or want the support around it with to just go in and answer all the questions. And in fact, one of our organization reached out to me just yesterday and said they just finally did that thing. And they're not particularly old, you know, or at the edge of life in any particular way. But the truth is we all are. And so just make time for it because you're taking care of everybody else when you do that. You're taking care of everybody you leave behind by making time for that. So in honor of them, just figure it out. Contact a lawyer friend. They'll tell you where to go if they can't do it for you. Go to the websites, countless websites, and maybe we'll post a couple of those in the liner notes. So, um, but that's that's my like simple advice is like, make time for it as soon as possible. You have no idea when you're going to die. It could be in the next moment. It could be tomorrow. It could be really soon. It could be in decades, hopefully. Um, but like, get it handled. Um, it's out of love for others that you do that, but also just caring for your dead self. I mean, that's a thing I feel like. Why not care for your dead self? Why not make those decisions and don't just leave it to other people who are grief stricken and have no idea how to drive from one location to the other, even if they'd done it thousands of times when you're grief stricken, you just have no capacity sometimes for those kind of simple activities. And so you just reminded me or I'm feeling a lot of the suddenly like, just do it, like make time for it, get it done for all those reasons. Yeah. It seems to me, bureaucratic legal things are the opposite of grief <laughs> and they're so mm -hmm. hard to yeah. deal with anything like that. I, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, just like the regular things of paying bills or whatever, but an added thing where you have to like figure out, new other navigate other systems and passwords and stuff mm. that just seems so harsh to do yeah so, yeah and i appreciate you asking about it and i do think uh, you know in this year maybe even there's been enough questions and activity around it that we we as an organization maybe could make room for that um, but i also think there's a lot of organizations that work in the context of death and dying in the ways we do, but also in those ways a lot. Like Going With Grace is a organization I often recommend for people to go for all the things, including uh, Order of the Good Death. And I mean, just going to their websites, Going With Grace especially, I'm just remembering going there, it's just so easy to find the link that says, do you need help with this thing? And it's just built into their programming. And so I sometimes it's, I know we don't have it as an organization as overtly, talking to any of us, maybe we could give advice like we are here having a conversation like you and I are having, but there's organizations out there that are built to really share. This is the, that's the step go here. Here's the many options you have. Um, or here's who you can talk to for free just to have a half hour conversation to say like, I just want to have a starting place. Can you talk to me? And, um, so uh, going with grace, I recommend is one of those options, but, but I think we'll make room for that too. And we should, mm -hmm. it is, it is, it is really important. Mm -hmm. So thanks for asking about it. Cool. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you too, Nick, for your work on this episode. Per usual, just I know you dialed a lot of conversation down to the heart of the matter, and uh, so appreciate that. It's just uh, such a matter so much to me. This 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 one, they all yeah. do. But thanks to you, you help them mean a lot. Just opening Photoshop here, downloading. Oh yeah, getting started. Sourdough GIF. Okay. You you are gonna do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have to. I'm your oh, boss. I, lo- I, 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 I enjoy it. My favorite uh, oh my gosh. I can't wait. Guys, that's another little extra incentive. Patreon.com forward slash YG2D. If you don't care about the wonderful extra audio content waiting for you there, <laughs> there will be an amazing photo of Selena. You're going to want to see this gift. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. So appreciate you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, we'll see you in your ears. Well, no, that doesn't make sense. Because that means <laughs> we're going to see you in your ears until next Still time. I haven't figured this out. Yeah, gosh. I'm going to get one of those last lines. So I'm going to nail it eventually. But for now, goodbye, everybody. 